Hi, Insiders. We're back with a new episode of Disney Movie Insiders Presents. And today we're talking about season three of The Mandalorian. The journeys of The Mandalorian through the Star Wars galaxy continue. Once a lone bounty hunter, Din Djarin has reunited with Grogu. The New Republic struggles to lead the galaxy away from its dark history. And The Mandalorian will cross paths with old allies and make new enemies as he and Grogu continue their journey together. There's no doubt season three delivers the reunion we've been waiting for. Fans will be delighted to see more of the father-son relationship between Din Djarin and Grogu. And while there are familiar faces, there's no telling what the new planets and characters from across the galaxy will bring to our beloved duo. This season is on an epic scale. First, we're talking to Katie Sackoff, who joined the series last season and plays Bo-Katan. Welcome, Katie. Hi, thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you here. We love that you're here fresh off of a trip from Disneyland, by the way, and like Disney magic all around. And you are Bo-Katan. I mean, how cool is it, though? After voicing the character in Rebels and the Clone Wars, what was it like the first time you put on her suit? It was amazing. I mean, I I mean it from the bottom of my heart when I say that voicing Bo and Clone Wars was a dream come true. And I only thought I was going to do like an episode or two. So the fact that she not only carried for so many years there, but that I, I got to actually play her in live action is, um, it's just the most satisfying icing on the cake. So it's pretty, it's pretty phenomenal. I never dreamed that it would be the character that I played the longest in my career. (laughs) (laughs) And that I'm finally a Disney princess. Come on. Okay. I'm getting all the feels right now. Okay. So how do you hear about that though? Like, let's take that back to the moment when you get, so, you know, you have the role in the animated series and then you shift over to live action. Like, is there, how how do you get notified about this? (laughs) Well, so, and that's the crazy thing. And I actually didn't even answer your last question about the suit, but, um, I, I was sitting with Dave Filoni at Celebration and he and I have been friends for a number of years because of Clone Wars and Rebels. And and I saw him and I had heard about this show, The Mandalorian. And I just went over to sort of like, you know, rib my friends. And I was like, you know, this show, you know, Bo's a Mandalorian. And like, I think she's still alive. (laughs) Um, And I was like, I'm just going to put that there. I'm just going to, you know, no pressure or anything, but like, um, and, uh, um, and then I think a few weeks after that, I got a call to, to have a meeting with John Favreau and I, it took me a good 15, 20 minutes into that meeting to realize that he was asking me if I wanted to play Bo-Katan in live action. And not only that, that my face was already on the previs. So like they had committed, oh, wow. um, and I was, I was, I think in shock and I called my husband on the the drive home and I was like, I feel like this might happen, but I don't want to jinx it. So let's just wait (laughs) till we hear more. Um, And it just, it honestly just keeps getting better and better. Um, You know, from that, that first moment when I I put on the entire kit and the red wig and like my freckles and my little scar and the whole suit. And I was standing there with Dave. I think that, you know, we've, we just both kept looking at each other and then both looked in the mirror. Cause I was like, I felt <laughs> like her and it just, it was the most surreal moment because I, it, she really, really the, the translation from animation to live action to me seemed so seamless and so perfect. Mm. And, and, um, so many people had a hand in making sure that, that, um, 
that she was spot on. Um, it was pretty crazy. You are so obviously spot on from the voice <laughs> to then seeing you on screen. That's so cool. I love hearing about just your your moments, like those highlighted moments where you're like, is this real? And then it's real. And how yeah. cool is that? Like you're saying, you're a part of the Disney family now. That's so cool. I would say though, was there anything that was standing out for you doing that transition from animated to live action? Was there anything that you wanted to try that maybe like differentiated or maintained? Like what were some yeah. of those priorities for you? So for the, if, I think that second season to third season, it, it's actually slightly different. You know, I think the second season, my biggest concern was that for, for people who had not seen Clone Wars and Rebels, that she would in some way distract them and wouldn't fit into the universe. So I wanted to make mm. sure that she, that she really um, seamlessly sort of fit into that world. Um, and it, from that point, it was really just making sure that we hit all the beats that John and Dave wanted to. And then subsequently, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and, and Peyton Reed as well, like that she really just sort of like was everything everyone wanted her to be for those two episodes. Um, and for me, it was just the 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 most important thing to nail down was um, Bo's energy. Um, mm. She's she's quite stoic and quite still in my opinion. And I wanted to make sure that when she moved, it felt purposeful. Um, you know, going into season three, taking on a bigger role, it shifted in the sense that I think that instead of just wanting her to sort of go from animation into live action seamlessly, I wanted to actually change her a little bit this season and make her more my own and, and have a bit more ownership over her because I was playing her for longer. Um, and so I think, you know, it's always about the fans and it's always about, you know, making sure that, that, you know, I love this universe and making sure that everybody is satisfied, but I think a little bit more this season, it was about making sure that, that I was satisfied with her journey. And I think that, that, um, you know, I just tried to stay true to that. And, and I think every, I think, I hope everyone, I hope everyone was happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the delightful, like just retelling of your story, like in the past, like you delivered so much on each milestone that came your way. And so for me, I loved your character in season two. So like coming into season three, like you are so cool. Like the way you can just, you know, hold your own in that space of this world of the Mandalorian. And then now coming into season three, I know fans are going to love everything that you do with this character. So that is awesome. Thank you. you have all these amazing, you have all this amazing information about the character, the world. How do you manage that with your excitement of keeping the secrets? But, you know, they know you're Bo-Katan. They know you hold the knowledge. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's different with everyone. You know, my husband is like a steel vault, so I can tell him everything. He not only knows everything, he helps me memorize my dialogue. So he knows everything. Um, my father, on the other hand, I make sign fake NDAs. So um, <laughs> and he still doesn't know anything. Like he literally doesn't know anything. And he came to visit on set the the second season when I was filming with my husband actually. And they, I was like, are you guys going to make him sign an NDA? And they said, no. And I went, you need to. <laughs> and not that he would like intentionally, but like my dad loves the Facebook and he calls it the Facebook. Like he, and he just like, I think that he would like unintentionally just like be like, you know, I was at set with, with Katie and like, 
you know, like she was filming with a Jedi. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so amazing. Gosh. Yeah, bro, he's such a huge Star Wars fan too. So he was just, it, it was so funny. So every family member has a different, a different um, level that I can tell them, but, but at their core, I also want them to be able to enjoy the show. Like everyone else, you know, I was just talking to, to Sean actually about um, spoilers and, you know, that I am, I'm really good at not giving any away because I don't want to ruin it for people. And so I actually just started telling fans that, you know, you know, I can't tell you that. And and furthermore, I've gotten so good at lying to you guys that, <laughs> that you wouldn't know anyway at this point. It's for their own good. It's for their own good. It like is. you said, it's preserving the magic, the experience. The yeah. Story, the story is theirs too. It really <laughs> to is. Feel. And, and this show is so good at maintaining those secrets. You know, I mean, you had Grogu season one and you had Luke season two and like, you just really, those secrets stayed so preserved and it's such a beautiful thing to be able to sit down and watch it and have the fans watch it and be genuinely just like amazed. And, and it, you're sort of like thrust back into that nostalgia we had when we were all kids watching Star Wars of this, like you know, just shock and awe. And it's, they're so good at preserving that. I don't want to ruin it. Well, I will say we are so excited for what we've seen to, (laughs) and it's just building and we know, and we're so excited for what's to come. So Katie Sackoff, thank you so much for the time today. I mean, we're just beyond excited about the Mandalorian season three. So thank you so much for talking to us about Bo-Katan. It's my pleasure. I just can't, I can't wait for everyone to see. I'm so excited. And also nervous, but excited. Thank you so much. (laughs) Absolutely. Now we're talking to Rick Bamuiwa, who takes on many roles for The Mandalorian as a writer, director, and now executive producer this season. Welcome, Rick, to the show. Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. So happy to have you. Okay, so that's a mighty impressive list right there. (laughs) But That guy sounds pretty impressive. (laughs) Say it again? That guy sounds pretty impressive. (laughs) I want to meet him. You are very impressive. You are amazing. And I can't even imagine taking on the roles you already have and then now taking on executive producer this season. What's it been like adding that into the mix? I mean, uh, it's been great. A lot more work um, uh, <laughs> for sure. But uh, but really, I, I think it, it felt like a kind of a natural culmination from from being on the show for so long and and being there from the very beginning and so I think there's been a a working approach because I've I've directed for on the show I've written on the show I've sort of been privy to the process that uh, of John and Dave as they've been creating the show over the past few seasons and so you know it felt like uh this was a, a natural progression, pr- particularly as as so many of the things that were set up over the first couple seasons and in Book of Boba Fett were were going to come to to a head and come to conclusion in, in this in this uh, third season. Okay, very exciting. I'm like on the edge of my seat, but okay. So about your roles, though, you're saying like you've been along the journey. It's been building to executive producer. Do the roles that you previously held like producing, directing, like, does anything ever blur? Like, how do you kind of keep it in its lane? I mean, I I think it's, it's all in service of telling the story. And I, and I think, you know, the title is one thing, but I, I I don't know if it necessarily changes the things that I do as a, as a filmmaker. Um, And I think 
John would and Dave would would say the same thing. Um, you're still in in service of of telling the story and trying to get onto the screen the best story you can tell and work with a group of people and, and help to bring them together to to see the the show um, in the same way. And and I think that's the biggest part of of what we do and what I do now in in this new expanded role is just sort of continuing that. Um, but then it's, you know, it's also being intimately involved in every aspect of the process um, from the creation uh, on the way down to the the marketing and everything else. And so that's that's also uh, exciting. But I think just as a storyteller, it, it doesn't, you know, the hats uh, are, are, are similar uh, because you're you're really just trying to tell a great story and get it up on the screen. I love that, though. That's really inspiring just to see how someone can, like you said, progress, grow, evolve within a series like this. So, okay, so tell us about this season. What story are you telling in season three of The Mandalorian? I mean, I I think that season three of The Mandalorian is really um, it's it's really about sort of defining the title itself. I mean, we started The Mandalorian as this one Mandalorian and and that's all we really knew about this character was that he was called the Mandalorian. We didn't know his name, didn't know anything about where he came from. Just that he was a bounty hunter and and that bounty and finding that bounty and in, in the course of trying to deliver that bounty changed him as a character. It changed his ideas of what it meant to be Mandalorian, both personally in terms of his creed, but then as he met other Mandalorians along the way, particularly Bo-Katan. And so when we get to season three, it it really does become about expanding out that idea of what it means to be Mandalorian, both as a culture and, and obviously the individual factions within it and how they see it and how they can and and haven't oh in the past gotten along <laughs> and so um, <laughs> so that's where we are when we 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 get to the beginning of our of our 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 season three um, Mando dealing with the ramifications of his decisions to to break his creed and and also characters that see being Mandalorian in a very different way and and how is this how and if and can they all come together okay so I'd have to say it's all culminating as you're saying it's all come together to season three and I'm sure over the seasons you're seeing how beloved this show is how much passion fans have I mean I will say Grogu Pedro, come on now, like just all in all, this is amazing. So, but how do you find the balance though in that you're seeing like the cultural, you're seeing a cultural phenomenon develop over time. Like how do you find the balance between telling the story you want to tell, but also giving the fans what they want? I mean, I think, you know, part of, of, of storytelling and being a part of something like this is, you know, you definitely want people to pay attention and certainly because of Star Wars, because of the success of Mandalorian, people certainly are paying attention. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, as a, as a storyteller, um, you're, you're trying to be as true to the story you're, you're telling. Um, and you, and you certainly hear the, everything that, that goes on around the show and, and, and certainly understand what that is. But I think trying to keep perspectives um, simple and, and taking us back to those 
you know, these two characters, this relationship, I think ultimately is what keeps us focused and knowing that, you know, we're ultimately telling that story and trying to get it and move it forward. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a balance between doing that and knowing that there are lots of expectations and theories that come from every little piece of what, you know, information of the show that comes out <laughs> uh, from an image to the trailer. And I, and you have to reconcile that, look, there are going to be people who have ideas about what the show's going to be and what they think is coming and, and ultimately those aren't going to come to those aren't going to happen but i you would hope that um you know that there's there's a investment in the overall storytelling from the fans that they go hey we're willing to go where this thing is taking us uh not and not just where we think it's going so and mm-hmm. in many instances though those instincts will be correct but there are going to be times when it's not <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah. I love you. Always hold that card. You're like, sometimes it's not. In my, to you got to, you know, got to just roll with it, you know. <laughs> it's so cool. So I will say, though, that hat of director, you're talking about being very grounded, focused on the story. Mm-hmm. What do your episodes to you like? What is that distinguishing look or moment? Is there anything that for you sets it apart from the other episodes for the other directors? I don't I don't know. I think every, you know, every director brings their point of view and style. And I think what's been great about um, John's approach to seize from season one on is that it's it's been very open and collaborative and very uh, much about having the individual director's voice come through. And so everyone has a unique way that they tell a story. Everyone has a unique point of view. I think what binds us all together is our, you know, our our desire to be in Star Wars and, and want to tell these stories and, and the love that we have for for it. And so that's the thing that really, I think, binds all the filmmakers and all the filmmaking together. Um, but I love that, you know, that, you know, this season you're going to have, you know, Carl Weathers, who has a very different point of view from... Lee Isaac Chung, from Rachel Morrison, from Peter Ramsey, and from Bryce Dallas Howard, and so, and, and obviously from myself, but all of it is in service of telling a, a similar story. Um, but I like that the flavor, I like that there's flavor that comes from each episode, and you can feel it. You can feel, you know, how, you know, each director um, brings their style to it, and I, and I like that, and I think that's what makes this show unique. It's what makes all the storytelling in Star Wars feel, you know, interesting is that, you know, we're going to have new voices that, that come in and, and help to to define what it is for, for them and from their perspective. Well, I've got to say, we're so grateful for your perspective, for your voice, Rick. Thank you so much for telling us about your work on this show, how you've taken us on a journey with each different role. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank, Thank you so much. You. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Take care. We're going to continue the fun with entertainment journalist and fellow Disney fan, Matt Elfring. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Lisa. Thank you for having me on. Super awesome. We're so excited to talk to you today. Okay, so let's kick things off with tell us about yourself, where you're from. I already know, but our fans out there want to know. And tell us about your career. Uh, So I am from outside of Chicago. Uh, I lived in Chicago for uh, quite a bit. 
And I, for 12 years, was an entertainment journalist, primarily at GameSpot, covering the entertainment side of things involving mostly Marvel, Star Wars, uh, Disney, uh, a lot of Disney stuff. And uh, currently, I'm just kind of writing and hanging out and watching things as a fan, which has been wonderful so far. We got to love, we got to love, love those moments where you can just truly be a fan. So mm-hmm. maybe that's kind of leading into this next question. What do you enjoy about your work? Um, I have always loved writing. Uh, I will write about anything. <laughs> that's kind of uh, my thing. I, I like to get to be uh, pretty free creatively to do what I want. And um, I just like to have fun. I also just like editing a lot. I like editing other people's work and helping people become better writers and getting better at the craft. Like it's a nice little biosphere of writers and whatnot that I'm kind of involved with. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like it's all in service of like your passion and just helping people kind of fulfill theirs. That's really cool. Okay. So movies, we have to ask, mm-hmm. when did the love of movies start? Oh, uh I I have a degree in film, so that's kind of a big deal too. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, I my parents used to take me to the movie theater a lot. Um, my first movie was E.T. I think I was like six weeks okay. old. So my parents were the ones bringing the crying baby in. <laughs> um, I have a like they they have a list. They kept a list of every movie they brought me to. This is the second movie I ever saw in the theater was Tron, and I was like four months old. And I still super love Tron. And I have this weird love of this live action subset of Disney movies from 70s and 80s, like Black Holes, Something Wicked This Way Comes, this really dark portion of like Disney movies that like aren't appreciated enough to me. Um, but I would be going to the movies like as a teenager, like every weekend. Uh, and then I got a job reviewing movies. So I'd be at the movies mm-hmm. all the time. And you know, with the pandemic and I got to kind of watch them on my computer at home for review, which was mm-hmm. really nice. Um, I'm always watching something or rewatching something uh, a billion times over. I, I have a horrible addiction to rewatching movies. I think that's the issue. What do you think is the movie that you've rewatched the most? Uh, it's Demolition Man. I've seen Demolition Man uh, <laughs> at least a hundred something times. <laughs> Oh my God. That's amazing. Can I also say though, like what a gem that is that your parents kept a list of all of the movies that they took you to. Like that's unreal. I feel like so many of us have like maybe like a gem of a memory that maybe they saw, you know, and like, it's like flashes, but you have like the actual listed out. I'm doing the the same thing with my son now. So like we took him to see the boss baby sequel and then Miles Morales uh, into the spider verse. And like, so like, we have, I have like all these plans. Anytime he sees a movie, I'm like, all right, we'll get on the list. I'll make sure that I remember I took you to it. So I can tell you when you're older. Oh, that's so cool. So do you think actually then that sounds like a lovely, like generational, like passing the baton. Do you think like that, that's what keeps your passion going today? Like about movies? Like it's kind of like now you're passing on some of these traditions, these memories. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I'm, I try not to force anything onto him <laughs> that I'm passionate <laughs> about. Like, I really love Star Wars, but if he doesn't like it, that's cool. Um, but he does like it. So it's we're, we're kind of good on that. It's all working. It's all meant to be. <laughs> okay, so speaking of Star Wars, we're talking about The Mandalorian. What is your earliest Star Wars memory? Um, I... I saw Return of the Jedi in theaters. I say saw. I was like one, so it doesn't like really count. Like I was, <laughs> um, I I wore out my VHS tapes in the eighties quite a bit. Like mm. 
I read a lot of the books. I remember reading like uh, just sitting around reading um, Tales from Jabba's Palace, a bunch of Timothy Zahn books, uh, standing in line my senior year of high school for six hours to see episode one, <laughs> skipping, <laughs> skipping school to go see a Star Wars movie. Uh, Gotta do it sometimes. <laughs> uh, or a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's always, with, with me, Star Wars always been kind of... Uh, a, a huge part of my life because I'm just, I like the mixture of science fiction and fantasy that star Wars brings together. And it's such a, an expansive and vast universe as well. And I've never been a Jedi person. I've always really liked the kind of the bounty hunters and smugglers and kind of the seedy underbelly of how everything works within that universe growing up before, you know, Disney purchased uh, Lucas films. There was like, there was just the three movies essentially. And then a the couple of animated series. And so kind of getting expansive from there, I would, I would get into those books, like the Timothy Zahn books, uh, the dark horse comics later on, um, kind of just grabbing whatever you could from the world of star Wars. And you would talk to your friends and kind of make up stories because what I really loved about those first uh, movies was they, they kind of gave you a glimpse into this galaxy, but they never really told you everything. So you kind of got to like try to piece together things yourself, which was really fun. Mm -hmm. And then when Disney bought out Lucasfilms, we just got all of the movies and TV shows and it was like Christmas every day for me. So <laughs> I feel like I just keep getting more and more excited to see how things expand, particularly from like what Dave Filoni has done since the Clone Wars cartoon Rebels. Mm -hmm. uh, he has been like the best thing to me to happen to the Star Wars universe for like a new, a new generation of fans as well. Because, you know, my son loves Rebels. My son loves watching the Clone Wars cartoon. And like, I like seeing that he gets as, as, as excited about this property that's been around for, you know, six, 50 years, coming up to 60 and whatever. Um, he gets as excited about the new stuff coming out as I did, you know, the first time seeing Empire Strikes Back or remembering all the Henson and Frank Oz puppets in like in Return of the Jedi. Like that's so cool. Getting to, getting to kind of pass that baton of fandom has been really cool. Yeah, that is so cool. Can I ask, have you had like a moment with him where you were sharing, I don't know, one of your favorite moments, movies, series in Star Wars with him? And it was kind of like, this is so cool, like a moment for you. He he gets super into the ships, which was not something I was ever really into. Uh, so he gets he got really excited when he got him like a little Razor Crest, like Hot Wheels toy or like a tie fighter. So like we both enjoy star Wars, but we're not on the same page of like the things that we love, which is, I think really cool that you have a property or a franchise that that is so expansive that like mm -hmm. you can have things that you're super keen and like tuned into that somebody else may not as be as into. And that's great. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been, I don't know if you've been to like Star Wars Celebration and everything yes. like that, or just, you know, seeing some of the fan events play out and seeing just how, yeah, like you're saying, every fan gets to embody like the Star Wars universe in their own way. I think that that's kind of like the beauty of it is how you started and were introduced, like even though you were really little, like in a theater and maybe it's like not crystal clear, like still <laughs> that nostalgia carries with you. And we're yes. seeing new series like The Mandalorian that continue it and like fill in maybe some of the blanks for you that maybe you were saying like I didn't know but now it's like my eyes are open <laughs> yes and that's that is how I feel completely about the Mandalorian is because I was such a 
kind of a, a nerd for the little bits we got of like Mandalore from Boba Fett and Empire Strikes Back, which is mm-hmm. almost nothing because you had to read the supplemental like the novels to understand any of it. But like the stuff that did uh Dave Filoni expanded upon uh just made me love that section of Star Wars so much more. Like creating these we we understand Boba Fett the bounty hunter. Um, but what Filoni really did was kind of create the whole world of Mandalore, but within that, these subsets of bounty hunters, these uh some are extremist groups, some are just you know governing people that are just trying to keep the peace like it is such a wonderfully in-depth world that has just come out of one planet based on one character we saw for like three minutes in two movies from the 70s and 80s it is just yeah it really is it's mind-blowing because you're literally like a sprinkle becomes like this whole other Mm. whole other thing so super super cool to talk to you about that obviously you're a big star wars fan but Tell us a little bit more. Like, what do you do in your free time? Um, I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and play music. And um, I mean, you you can see, no one else can see because there's audio, but I have like a whole painting set up that I kind of just paint little miniatures in my free time. Oh, that's I just awesome. Need something relaxing. And I wanted to learn a new, like a new talent. And I've always been terrible at art. So I'm slowly working on being less terrible at art and just kind of painting tiny miniatures. But a lot of it's, you know, I just uh, watch movies. Most of my time is just spent hanging out with my kid and my wife and going on walks and watching movies and TV and real family life stuff. I love that, though. It's inspiring because you're a big movie fan. You grew up with that and it's a part of your DNA and this is how it's embodied for you. And I think that that's always cool for people to hear and see that there's so many ways so many lanes as well to pursue your passion. So pretty, pretty cool stuff there, Matt. Matt, I want to get to know the Disney fan specifically. Mm. Are you ready to take on the Insider Five with us? I I believe so. <laughs> Little nervous, but I believe I am ready. You know you're going to own this. So here we go. What is your earliest memory of being a Disney movie fan? Uh, it would be very specific memory. Uh, at my great aunt's house on Victoria, um, British Columbia, uh, outside of Vancouver, in her basement watching Tron on VHS right when Tron came out. It was that followed by Robin Williams' Popeye, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> what a combo. Oh my, my gosh, so were good. not into Tron at all. They, were, they, 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 they despised Tron, but they wanted to watch Popeye over and over again. But I got Tron in at least. <laughs> You had your moment with Tron. Yes. Oh my gosh, so good. Okay. If you could only ride one ride all day at a Disney park, which would it be? I am not the biggest ride person, but I would I would go with Space Mountain because that's my my only Disney memory as a kid at being at Disney World is going to Epcot and my dad and I waiting way too long in line for Space Mountain and then being so freaked out I could not see anything on the ride. <laughs> So just put me back in that one memory I have over and over and over again. It's always those like, is this kind of traumatic? No, this is great kind of memory that like yeah. inspires you. I'm going to go back and get on that attraction, that ride. <laughs> I will say though, Matt, I was holding back this whole time. I really thought that you were going to say a Tron light cycle run. You've no, got to do that. I have not been to a Disney park since 
I've been to downtown Disney in Anaheim a few times for work, but not to an actual park in a long time. You're in Chicago. I would say Walt Disney World, Tron Light Cycle. I hear amazing things. You got to get out there. So look at this. You're inspiring us and hopefully we're inspiring you. (laughs) Okay. I obviously have a son who's very impatient that wants to go to Disney. It's Disney karaoke night. What song do you sing? Um... I like Moana a lot. Like, I, I think I've seen that movie. I'm not even going to guess how many times. A lot. Um, <laughs> so I would probably go with your welcome um, just based on the fact that I probably have the, I'm not the best singer in the world, but I think I can carry that one decently. And I also have a Maui hook tattoo right down there. What? So, yeah. <laughs> Low key, like dropping it, like bury the lead there. You got to lead with that when you talk I about have, I should have, I should have, yes, I have a Maui hook tattoo <laughs> on me. I like the movie Moana, Dwayne Johnson. You're hooked into that song every time, literally, literally. Mm-hmm. Your next question. You are invited to a Disney themed costume party. Who or what do you dress as? It, this is very easy for me. I, I'd like to go as uh, Malakili, the Rancor Keeper from Return of the Jedi. Uh, just get me in the weird fur robes. I think I'd be very good in that role in a costume party. And also, I think only like 10% of the people would know who I was. <laughs> we always love a deep cut. It's yes. always, always celebrated, always appreciated. All right, Matt, to close this out, which Disney character has the best life advice and what is it? I'm going to go with Dory. Uh, just keep swimming. Um to me that has always meant you always just keep moving forward just keep trying just keep going just keep swimming that is something that is played in the back of my head constantly i think yeah that is a great great inspiring quote for us to all share today thank you again for the time today matt you took on the insider five you talked about your fandom i'm writing that note down personally for me to note write down all the movies for my kids in the future but (laughs) so cool thank you so much for having me thanks matt That's our show. Season three of The Mandalorian is now streaming on Disney Plus with new episodes on Wednesdays. So you don't miss any upcoming podcast episodes, subscribe and follow Disney Movie Insiders Presents. And while you're there, we'd love it if you gave us a rating and review. Visit DisneyMovieInsiders.com or our app and enter bonus code MANDALORE. The code expires April 11th, 2023 at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. Membership is required. Limit one redemption per account. Visit DisneyMovieInsiders.com for terms and conditions. We'll catch you next time, Insiders, with more Disney movie magic.